Applications for the Techstars Tech Central Sydney Accelerator Class of 2024 are closing on the 22nd of May. I'm Kirsten Hunter, the Managing Director of Techstars Sydney, and I'm looking for diverse and unstoppable founders who are using technology to solve the world's biggest problems to join this Accelerator cohort. The 12 successful businesses will get access to our 13-week mentor-driven accelerator, $120,000 US investment, and access to the Techstars network for life. Head to our Accelerator webpage to learn more and to apply. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists, to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. This episode was conducted by guest host Will Cho. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Australian Startup Series interviews. Our guest today is Trevor Folsom. Trevor, it's so good to have you on the show today, thank you. Yeah, thanks Will, thanks for inviting me. To start us off, could you introduce yourself and what you're currently working on? Yeah, it's Trevor Folsom. I'm a co-founder of Investable, which in essence is a combination of an investor network and also a series of funds in the venture capital and, and particularly early stage. We love to invest in, in seed-based technology founders that are starting their journey and, and are looking for capital and support. To start us off, I'd love to take us back right to the very beginning. Trevor, would you say that you've always been an entrepreneur? Take us back to even university days. Yes, my uh, father was an entrepreneur and, and had the, the, the experience of a lifetime both to grow and, and have some success, but also saw the, uh, the downside of the entrepreneur journey. So I was an unlikely entrepreneur. If, if you ask my mother, she didn't want me to go anywhere near that. Um, <laughs> but something inside me always wanted to run my own business. I did do the typical journey of starting lots of little things, even at university days, and, and had no neglect or concern or fear for starting things, but also obviously had to tie down a job. So I went into the financial services industry and, and grew from there. But there was something of you know real desire um, to do something my own and different, but I had no idea what that was going to be. Do you know now what, what was that desire that kind of pulled you in? It was really opportunistic. It was it came by learning from an American finance company who were out here in the you know, late eighties and early nineties, and they really revolutionised the financial services. Unfortunately, they were a, a big player here in the market competing with the banks. I was fortunate enough to meet my co-founder Creel Price at that business. 
And we both, you know, lived that journey. As a, as a first-time corp executive, I, I really, you know, thought that's what all businesses were like. So I was, I was gifted into an amazing culture and, and a business that was very innovative. But it was only when they sold out and I, I learned from a few other businesses that gave me that desire to do things differently and, and to leverage it. And so the opportunity to meet Creel at that business was fortuitous. And we started our first business together in, you know, the late 90s. Yeah. And I can see from your profile, you've been with some of the most iconic names, both in and outside of the startup industry, you know, such as Car Next Door, and then you were chairman of the Salvation Army. What year would you say that you first launched into the ecosystem? Well, really, you could say it's when we, when Creel and I started Blueprint Management Group, which was in 1996. And if you recall, that was the, the period just before the, the dot-com and, and not long after the, the dot-com crash and the, and the bubble that was formed around that. And we started a software business we weren't particularly sexy in that time, and there was certainly nowhere near the, the infrastructure and support and ecosystem that there is today. But in 1996, we started our first business. We were able to certainly attract lots of really quality staff to help us on that journey, but we did it in a very different way that entrepreneurs have the, the luxury of doing today. Yeah. Tell me more about that, how there was, in essence, a lack of infrastructure. So who did you rely on? I guess it was just friends and family, as they say, and people that were mentors. I didn't really understand that, that terminology back then, but looking back now, they certainly, I was able to leverage my experience in sport and connections that they gave me, particularly in rugby and water polo, and, and a number of just were available to help. It was really about reaching out, being brave enough to ask some questions and ask for advice from people. And, and so it was just done um, in a fluid nature in that sense. Certainly early days, we were fortunate enough to meet a few investors that um, are still you know, mentors today of ours. Um, they didn't actually invest in our business, but you know, really gave us good insights. And probably you know, in those late 90s, you know, there was certainly a lot of interest from investors, a lot of private equity individuals coming down and looking at the venture space. And those that got into you know, realestate.com and car sales and seek certainly benefited. And that sort of was the, the rise of what I consider the, the very, very early days of the ecosystem in Australia. Yeah. And as you say, you started just right where when the dot-com boom happened and kind of rode that wave. What was it like right after the bust here in Australia? Yeah, it was really crazy times. I saw some of my, my friends and peers and, and others that were you know, jumping out of their jobs and just investing in, in all over the world in that space. And it was really crazy. And you know, we, we'd get approached a lot. We'd pitch our business but you know it wasn't it didn't have a dot com on the other end of the name and it wasn't a, a consumer global consumer business or brand so it just didn't get the attention but i saw lots of people scurry it was, it was a crazy time and we can look back at it now and learn from it but it was an amazing um time for you know those individuals that were able to ride through that and and, and navigate and a lot of them are, are now great investors and supporting the ecosystem in other ways yeah what you said before about how back then there wasn't the infrastructure that we see today. Can you tell me more about what sort of support structures are available that you use today, as well as when did it start to kick off? Yeah, when I think about you know the, the evolution in the, the Australian ecosystem, as we know, we followed what we could learn in the US and particularly in Silicon Valley and programs, and which later became 
you know, labelled accelerators and, and incubators were certainly the early makings in, you know, the sort of early 2000s. But it's really evolved now. And so there's support at every level. There's support for early first-time investors, which are really powerful and a great way to to help educate first-time investors and angels. Everybody's looking to get involved in a startup in some form, whether it's mentoring or consulting. We are now seeing, um, you know, universities really lean in and, and governments as well to, to recognise the need of support and to, to help the ecosystem grow. So, you know, areas all over. I mean, the investor side was always sort of there in the early days, um, but now it's much more coordinated and considered and, and there's a real open opportunity for that advice and to whether it's to raise capital or just to help prepare you to grow your business. And there's it's not too hard to find an event or a collaboration opportunity and there's programs of all levels for both first-time entrepreneurs and, and entrepreneurs that want to you know, look for a co-founder or just to support others. Yeah, a lot of guests point towards that 2012 era is when it started to really kick off, you know, that hockey stick growth from the founding of, you know, Startmate and so on. Would you agree with that time period? Yeah, that's probably when it started to really, you know, thicken out a bit and mature and, and I think we've got a lot to to thank for those guys in Innovation Bay, um, Faden and Ian, who set the charge and recognised the opportunity to bring people together. And then certainly Phil and, and Mick from Polonizer, who in those sort of 2008 to nine, they did a lot of lifting, certainly in Sydney. And then Melbourne, not long after, started to follow that trend. So by about 2012, there was, you know, established programs, ecosystem and, and much more awareness. And then from since then, it's really, you know, evolved and and like, like I said, a lot of founders, there's a really great opportunity out there for them to seek information. And we do see that on the investment side where founders are really coming a lot more prepared and certainly knowledgeable about what it is they need to do with their business to, to attract funding. Yeah, I'd love to turn towards improvement opportunities now. And I'd love to get your, your perspective. Do you think we're on the right track as an ecosystem or is there some things that we could still be doing better? Yeah, we're certainly on the right track. There's there's great evidence now of changes in the way that investors are setting up. We've got a lot of good funds now that are specialised in their areas, like Tenacious Ventures in the ag tech area and the giant leap in ESG. And even Investable, we've now got a climate tech fund. So that's that's a good example of, of funds not just being so broad and really looking to invest in sectors. We've got some great secondary market funds now evolving and BMBD from Second quarter is a great example of that. We've got some now new development of Venture Deck products with the Marshall family office and what Melissa Widden is doing. And also there's sounds like there's going to be others that are coming in, which is a great recognition and, and probably a good desire. In terms of the, the program side, I'm hearing some really fantastic things going on around the universities in particular. I'm involved in New South Wales University. And they've been fantastic in attracting some good people back to, to add value, but also people outside of the, the university and, and the programs like that at UTS. And ANU in Canberra, there's just some amazing examples that we are evolving and creating opportunities for both founders and investors. Yeah. I mean, reflecting over the last two decades, back when you first started that blueprint management, how has the ecosystem grown? Has it been what you expected it to be? It's hard to say. I mean, really, if I look, it's only, it's only 10, 12 years. I'd probably give it a, a you know a level of achievement. There's certainly more to do. And we are challenged by you know distance and some other areas. But I certainly think the best example is reflected in the founders, the way that they think about their businesses now. I, it was pretty common in 
2000 and 2005 to hear an investor or even a successful entrepreneur highlight that Australian founders need to really think more global and, and, and be broader and, and more ambitious. Yeah, we, we definitely see that now. Founders are recognising that the success that they can really achieve is unlimited. The technology that's available to get your first customer doesn't have to be any longer in Sydney or in, in Australia for that matter. You can be on the world stage straight away. So, yeah, we've adopted that. And yeah, I, I'd say we're definitely on the right track. Yeah. You mentioned there's still more to do though. Tell me more about that. What are some of those things? Look, I think there's the, we're all challenged by the talent war at the moment and it's not you know, unique to us as early stage you know, venture businesses, but it is particularly challenging when a lot of the activity is in capital cities like Sydney and Melbourne and, and you know, they're expensive cities to live. And so when you've got a talent war going on and a lot of employees need a, a cost of living and so starting the ecosystem or having a focus around the capital cities is really challenging. Startups, you know, they need to be careful of their their spend and their their burn rates early. So they just naturally can't compete on salary. So there's a challenge that, you know, we all face across and there's not an industry that doesn't, but particularly relevant to us here in um, the startup world. And whether it's the case of looking to cheaper locations to start these businesses, moving hubs around the country. Certainly governments all around have recognised the opportunity to to create a pathway and to, to build a micro-ecosystem in, in their own areas. And I think that's a really positive thing. But I think there's also, I'm quite surprised that the big recruiters and or other innovators haven't really caught on to the opportunity that there is to recruit or create a new model of engagement for finding talent and bring them into early stage startups. There's some great examples of people that have, you know, spent their time and effort and energy and they may not invest with capital, but they invest in resource or a service offering in the hope that when that business does mature and grow and can afford to pay fees that are equivalent to what, you know, the market demands, things like that is a real opportunity. So, you know, I'm expecting um, uh, our innovators around the country to come up with ways to to try and help and, and particularly help this sector because if you do get it right, these businesses are going to grow fast. And if you're the recruiter or talent champion of choice, then you know, you've know you got a, a great business idea or certainly as an individual, you're going to have a great career. Trevor, do you have any unpopular opinions about our ecosystem? Something that you believe is true, others don't seem to be on the same page as you. Yeah, look, it, it could be unpopular in a negative or positive way. It's probably an opportunity more so, and I, and I, and I predict that it will be. The corporates in Australia haven't really cracked the model, and I'm general, mass generalisation here, and, and not everybody's in this bucket, but compared to the US where probably 12 years ago when I spent a lot of time there, you could see you know, some of my peers in the US fund managers are backed by 70% of their LPs are corporates. We've got institutional money coming into our funds, but it's particularly prominently super funds. Corporates really haven't lent in. Um, those that have, maybe they've done some good R&D and, and, and some work to learn about the innovation space or to tick the box. Others have supported and sponsored programs for the same means. Some have built, tried to build venture funds and consider themselves as having the ability to that, but quite complex and, and not a lot of great examples there. And so really, I think the next phase and the opportunity we're going to see is that corporates will start to to start to find out and, and partner with fund managers and recognise that there's opportunities for them to invest behind a manager and alongside and to 
to support in other ways and to whether it is a learning exercise or, or not. But in the US, it certainly has proven that the corporates over there 15, 20 years ago learned pretty quickly that they bear off back in the fund managers. And I think that's going to be the next evolution in, in Australian venture capital particularly. Yeah. Why is that? How come corporates haven't leaned in? Yeah, it's probably, you know, there's always the biggest competitors in, in a corporate is inside and, and the, the one's own ability or desire to continually create a service offering themselves. So that's one of the elements that's probably held back a little bit. And the others is, I guess, you know, the, the real big focus in relative terms, investing 10 or $20 million into this sector, it's not going to change the bottom line. And the, and the short-term focus of share price is probably one of those elements. So we, we need innovative CEOs and boards to look beyond that and, and to see that there's, especially if their their own business is under attack, they need to be really more aware and, and invest in other models and other companies. You know, it's really been probably a short-term focus on shareholder value and also those that have, you know, ventured a little bit, maybe didn't get the success that they probably thought and hoped, so they retreated. But I think the, the backing fund managers now, there's a lot of experienced managers in this market, I think is really a great opportunity for them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So Trevor, as you know, what we're trying to do on this series is to document as historically and accurately as possible the history of our ecosystem, just so that we can look to the future. And we're aiming to reach all corners from founders, investors, academics, and entrepreneurs themselves. Is there anything that we haven't talked about today that is always top of mind for you? Yeah, look, it's probably yeah, my, through my own experience and those of founders that have the first time founders that are really driven by wanting to, to test their business model and so forth. I think there's been a lot of emphasis on the importance of raising money first as, as the, the pathway, whereas through my own experience of, of not being successful in raising capital or choosing not, to, I think that's still re- very relevant. And so those founders that get busy build their team, build their product out there and can validate that. The capital will come. But, you know, trying to change that mindset of I need to raise the money before I can make this business work is a real challenge for them. And I think we are seeing a lot more support of those founders to get them ready. But, you know, that's really a a big desire. And don't think that until you raise capital, you can make a business. In actual fact, turn it inside out and try where you can and hold back from necessarily raising too early or diluting your own equity so quickly if, if you can prove it out and get it right, then the capital will flow in. Yeah. I think that just is a good segue into our next question, because I was just about to ask you, you know, reflecting on your wins, your experience and your mistakes, what's your advice to future entrepreneurs? Is it that not being in a rush to raise capital? Yeah, that's one of the ones. Yeah, definitely. It's where we mentioned this talent war. It's really, think creatively about how your next hire, where are they going to come from? Can you even bring them in and, and and maybe engage with them in, in a different way early on before they're ready to take the big leap of faith and leave. So there's different ways to get that talent engaged. And we are in a global market now, and so you don't have to look, they don't have to be in your city any longer. You can you know, certainly prove that you can build a team virtually and, and globally. And then the other standard one is, and we still suffer this at Investable, is being careful of taking on too much too quickly and try not to necessarily think you have to be you know, the best at all the parts, um, certainly set a vision for such, but let's, you know, get really good at what you're best at. And if you can be the best in the world at that component or that part of the, the industry and, and, and own that, then the rest will flow and really good supportive investors will see that. And so don't think that you have to present the end game from the start. It's, it's you know, it's really finding that 
unique space that you can differentiate and if it's quite even if it's very narrow early get that right and the rest will flow mm, i love that and lastly trevor are there any heroes in the startup ecosystem or your specific and individual story that you'd like to shout out i know we've mentioned quite a few in the episode so far yeah yeah those ones that i've mentioned are heroes and, and and good friends of mine and and i think we owe them a lot and there's others like you know somebody that's been a, a mentor from the day one when i sold my business the best bit of advice i got that still holds today is just because your success as an entrepreneur is is you know current it doesn't mean that you're going to convert yourself into an investor overnight and so that was tony Surtees, who was on our board when we sold and, and it was great advice so i challenged him to say okay who do i go and see and so he opened up his network in the us he was one of the first employees in yahoo and so that gave me a great access there but i also got to meet roger allen who i think we owe a lot to he's he was in the the dot-com, he was investing then as Allen and Buckridge. Wow. He was obviously a, a very successful investor and entrepreneur himself, and he's still investing today, and he's still a close mentor and friend of mine. And the fact that he's gone through major changes and, and, and challenges in the industry, he's been incredible. And then there's, I guess, the founders, everybody that sort of we invested in and, and no doubt other um, venture funds invested in before COVID. We really expected a whole lot more carnage and crashes we invested in companies that are in sport tech and in travel tech yeah they really relied on on events and, and venues being open and to see them being closed for so long it's amazing that they all still survived through that and so credit to them all those founders that again showed that resilience and desire and reinvented themselves in some i think they're a great hero of mine and we can't name them all, but you know certainly we've got a number in our portfolio that prove that we backed the right people in the fact that they could get through that phase and, and even improve their businesses for ready for growth that we, we're about to see. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.